Most of you know that we as a congregation have been going through the book of Galatians. You know we're almost done. Next week is the last sermon. Uh, I think it's been a great journey. It's such a good book, isn't it? I mean, it's been so fun to be in this book together. Uh, yeah, you can, hey, you can clap for God's word anytime. I'll clap along with you. Uh, that is a great book. It's, it's fun. People like great sermons. They're like, Galatians is like tailor-made to make mediocre preachers sound good, right? Like, it's just so preachable. It's such a great book. Love it, love it, love it. And so one of the things we've been learning through it is that we are free from the law, that we do not have to earn God's favor. Jesus did that for us right here. And so it is pure gospel, no additives. I told you at the very beginning of Galatians that it is not about what you add, it's that you add anything at all to the gospel, and it takes it from pure to poison. And it becomes deadly. This is what Paul has been hammering over and over throughout Galatians. Look, Paul didn't make this stuff up. This is the good news that Jesus taught. Remember the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus taught? Remember that? Listen, the prodigal son was completely okay with the father. And the father's throwing a party and all he had to do was come home. It had nothing to do with him being good. And Jesus, in order to emphasize that, remember, he sticks another character in the story. There's the older brother. Now, the older brother was morally good. He was self-righteous. He did not celebrate grace. And he wanted it to be, come home, plus be good. Remember that? And so Jesus told that story, not only to welcome the prodigals home, oh, absolutely, but also to slap the hand of the super-religious and the self-righteous, who want to add conditions, who want to add rules so that we earn favor with God and with each other. And Jesus said no. So Paul is just echoing what his Lord taught. Because the problem in the Galatian churches was one of legalism, following laws and rules to earn favor with God. Listen, that didn't go away. Listen, if you will, to what Lewis Johnson said. He said, one of the most serious problems facing the Christian church today is the problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was the problem of legalism. In every day it is the same. Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer, and with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. That's not what we want. So through the the letter to the churches in Galatia, Galatians, through that, Paul is hammering the gospel over and over and over and over. And so we come through that and we say, great, now we're okay with God and we can do whatever the heck we want. No, 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 not really. See, hedonism is a false freedom. Do my children need to earn my love? No, they're my kids. Can they do whatever they want? Again, no. Right? Because it wouldn't be good for them and it wouldn't be good for our family. See, so, so what happened then as we went through Galatians in chapters 1 through 4, we learned that we are freed from. 
freed from the law, freed from earning God's favor. But as we got into Galatians chapter 5, we found out that we are freed not only from, we are freed to. We are freed to the law of love that reigns. We are freed to keeping in step with the Spirit. And that's just good living. That's like putting a fish in water. That is the water we were made to swim in. That's the freedom for which we were made. Hedonism is just another brand of slavery. It's not good. It's not good. So that's, that's chapter 5. And then now when we get into chapter 6, what's happening is Paul has, uh, is talking about what it looks like for us to live those things out as gospel people, law of love people, keep in step with the spirit kind of people. That's what he's saying. This is what it looks like. And as we get into today's passage, at first it's probably going to take a little turn that you didn't see coming. So let's look at it. We're, at, we're in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So let's start out with that first sentence, all right? The one who is taught the word, that's y'all's. The one who teaches the word, that's me. And Pastor Jared and Pastor Austin, what it says is you're to share all good things with your pastors. This is actually a verse about giving to your church. And not just to your pastors, but because we're a larger church, by extension to your church staff. Okay, so it probably just got really uncomfortable in here. I know you guys love preaching about giving to your church. By the way, guess what? I'm equally as uncomfortable, okay? It's uncomfortable on both sides, but, but that's in there. But notice this, the, the passage is not only about giving to your church, but, it's, but Paul broadens it. It's about living a generous life. Giving to your church, living a generous life. It makes sense, though. And here's why. Remember, in chapter 5, Paul is all about the spirit versus the flesh. They're in opposition to each other, right? And so then what he does is he gets into chapter 6, is he gives you a way to take your temperature. How are you doing on the spirit-flesh thing? He's saying, okay, you want to know? Check your giving and check your living. Now you'll know. Oh, now I see why that's in there. That makes sense to me. Paul puts this paragraph in. So let's take those in turn. Let's talk about giving to your church, because it's so comfortable for all of us, right? Good. Uh, I know of a church where uh, at the church, some in the church didn't like their pastor, didn't like his leadership and the direction he was taking, and so what they decided to do, listen, they could have left and voted with their feet. They didn't. They decided to vote with their pocketbook, and so they vocally withheld their giving to their church. 
They decided to stay and cause dissension. They became consumers, not contributors, because they were consuming resources, but they were not contributing resources at all. The reason why I mention that is I believe a similar thing was happening in the churches of Galatia. And remember what would happen is uh, Paul would plant churches throughout the region of Galatia. When he planted a church, he would appoint an elder, a pastor, synonymous. He would appoint an elder to lead that church, and then he would move on. When he moved on, these opponents came on his heels, and they were trying to persuade the congregation away from the pure gospel, no additives. Evidently, one of the things they were doing was they were trying to get some of the Christians there to join them in their rebellion and to object, and therefore not to give to their church. See where this comes in? So they may have persuaded some. The problem is that withholding your giving from your church is a worldly idea. It's just not a biblical one. Like, they got no verse for that. Like, there's nothing in the scriptures about that. And so Paul writes this passage, and when he does, you'll notice there's no loophole. Like, you can leave the church. We're not going to keep you. Like, but there's no loophole that, hey, you know, give to your church unless you just don't like it. Then no. Like, that's not in there, right? Instead, what Paul does is he gives it teeth. He says, God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Ooh. All right, so enough of that. Now, what Paul does is he slips in some ideas, though, about giving. Maybe you missed them. One of the ideas on the table is that I don't want you to give to this nameless, faceless, abstract church, some organization. But notice, he says, no, you give to people who minister to you, right? Now, uh, Shannon and I, we give 10% of my gross income goes to Redemption Chapel. I give too. Uh, of her income, uh, we give some of that. Some of that we then give to uh, other missionaries and things like that. So we give uh, significantly to Redemption Chapel, and I want to show you why. If you go on our website, you go down to staff and elders, and what you're going to do is you're going to see names and faces. This is our staff team, people. And when we give, we give because we love supporting Gary, Pastor Jared, and Pastor Austin, and Ange, and Shana, and Alex. I'm going by desks around the office, right? And it goes all, I could go on and on. We give because we love supporting that team. We love them. That's why we give. Now, at the end of the page, you see it comes down to elders. Uh, they don't receive money. If you knew them, you'd understand why. We don't pay, no, that's because they're giving people, they're, anyway, so, uh, but, but our elders aren't paid, but, any case. Now, some of our giving, of course, uh, goes to things like donuts and coffee, because you people consume a lot, like a lot, you know, uh, and so it goes, it goes to electricity, it goes to ministry programs, but listen, even that stuff is to bless people, it's about ministering to people. All of us loved last week when we saw Shelby's story, right? When we give, that's what's going on. All those things are designed to see God write redemption stories on lives right here. It's about giving to people. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. All right, so that's one idea Paul slips in. Now, he slips in another idea, and it is this, that as a believer, your primary giving should be to your local church. 
where you are taught the word of God. Do you see how that's implicit in there? It's where you're taught, where you're fed. There's a biblical principle here. It's quoted elsewhere in the scriptures. It says, don't muzzle the ox while it's threshing. Okay, what's that mean? It means you're a farmer and you have livestock that do the work that feed your family, right? Why would you starve the ox that's feeding you? That's stupid, right? And so you feed the animal and the animal feeds you. And he brings that into a biblical context. He says you reap what you sow, right? So in the church where you are fed, you give. That's the principle right there. Now, in any case, listen, I don't want you to give out of duty and guilt and obligation. At Redemption Chapel, that's just not how we roll. Instead, what I want you to do is give out of joy and vision and desire. That's why you, I want you to have staff faces in mind. I want you to have Shelby's story in mind. That's why we give. John Piper said it this way. He said, when you get your paycheck, do you look to the Spirit for how to turn this money to best advantage for God's kingdom? Or do you invest it in the field of the flesh for your own private use? Sowing to the Spirit means recognizing where the Spirit aims to produce some luscious fruit for the glory of God and dropping the seed of your resources in there. One of the places where the Spirit has promised to yield 30, 60, 100 fold is in the teaching of God's Word. And then he said this, he said, there is more writing in that little white envelope on Sunday than you realize. Okay, we don't do white envelope. On your text giving, on your online, I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. But, but your giving on Sunday, the point is there's more writing on that than you realize. All right, so that's giving to your church. Enough of that. Uh, I told you, Paul then broadens the principle to living a generous life. If you look in the passage, he said, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Now wait, that sounds a little bit more broad than just church, right? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, honestly, they're connected. Listen, if you grow in generosity, giving to your church will just take care of itself. And if not, not. And so it's always been our habit. We just focus on encouraging generosity and we let the giving take care of itself. Now granted, I guess as a church, we could go with heavy guilt motivation and we can twist arms and we can get tithe, tithe, tithe. And we'll get people to give to their church and we'll still have an ungenerous congregation. Failure. That's failure. We would rather have generous congregants and let the giving work out. So here's a better way of approaching it. Think of Galatians. As people who are secure in the pure gospel of grace with no additives. As people who are finding our value and our worth in the Lord and in his kingdom and in, in eternity. As people who are living the law of love. As people who are keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Can, can you see where this is going? Like generosity is going to flow from that, right? 
It just naturally results. Galatians 6 comes after Galatians 5. Go figure. This just flows. So what the Lord wants us to do is to go be generous to everyone. Bless people, love people, at cost to ourselves. That's fine. We're set. We got the gospel. We're secure. See that? This flows. Now, one of the interesting things, though, you'll notice at the end, it says, and especially to the household of faith. Wait, what? What's that about? It gets interesting. If you read carefully throughout the New Testament, uh, when commands are given, you, most often by Paul, but elsewhere, when commands are given to raise money from Christians, in a corporate sense, to and through the church, for benevolence relief, for example, for the famine in Jerusalem, whatever. If you read carefully, the designated target is to help out fellow Christians. That might strike your ears funny, but it's in there. Go look at it. Now listen, it makes sense. And the reason why is because we are family. Listen, it's, it's a really nice thing when my family decides to help out a neighbor. But I'm biblically obligated to feed my own family. That's in the scriptures. I have to. And so as Christians, we got to remember, we's family. We're family, folks. And my primary allegiance is to my king, to his kingdom, and to the royal family that he adopted me into. That's my obligation. Which means everything else takes a back seat. My friends, my politics, uh, my workplace, my school, my sports, even my earthly family, everything takes a back seat. And we go to especially to those who are of the household of faith. Another idea that goes with this is the fact that we are supposed to give ourselves primarily to kingdom initiatives. We who are of the household of faith, that's where we should get, listen, you understand that non-Christians will give money to the Red Cross. You get that, right? Is it a bad thing for a Christian to give money to the Red Cross? No. No, that's okay. That's a good thing. That's fine. But non-Christians are not going to support the spread of the gospel of Jesus. That's our responsibility. That's why it is our priority, especially the household of faith. Right? So what I think Paul is saying here is there's an encouragement. Yeah, go do good to everyone, but there's an obligation to the household of faith. There's a priority there. Now, in receiving some of that, you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. A pastor... I can't possibly do good to all. How can I feed? I can't feed everyone. Mother Teresa had a great line on this. She said, if you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. That's, that's clean, right? That's pretty good. Listen, you don't have to, sol to solve world hunger. You just have to go do good to those who God puts in your path this week. To bless them and be generous to them. That's it. Bloom where you're planted. Okay? Now, I already told you that Galatians 6 comes after Galatians 5. That's just simple math, right? But it's a logical flow. And so what happened in Galatians 5, if you remember, Paul talked a lot about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit impacts our lives as believers. 
But then as he flowed out of that, one of the things that's really interesting, he didn't go out of that and go into uh, signs and wonders and big wild things. Did you notice that? As he comes off that, he starts to talk about how do we apply this? He talks about fellowship, community, relationship, loving each other, taking care of each other. That's how the Holy Spirit marks our lives. So I heard one pastor in New York talk about it in this way. He, um, he had a woman in his congregation that came to him and said, Listen, pastor, we need more signs and wonders in our congregation. And he said, Listen, look over here. And he pointed to a woman sitting in the corner. And he said, She was just evicted from her home. And I would consider it a sign and a wonder if you would take her into your house for three months. Get it? That's Holy Spirit living. That is generous living. That is who we want to be. As secure in the gospel, as living the law of love, as keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, it will impact our giving and our living, our giving to our church, but our living generous lives, organically out there, doing the work. Now it's important, and Paul's going to give us a reason why this is important. If you look back at the passage, he says, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You reap what you sow. This is an unavoidable law of the universe. It's like gravity. You might not like gravity, don't care. <laughs> you can't get out of it, right? So gravity happens. Listen, this is an unavoidable principle. You sow what you reap. If you sow soy, guess what you're going to reap? Soy. Do you know how dumb it is to sow soy and expect to reap corn? That's dumb, right? Paul's saying quit being dumb. Why do you sow to the flesh and expect to reap from the Spirit? That's, he's saying dummy up, people. Listen, if you sow to the flesh, don't expect spiritual growth. You should expect corruption. That's what he says. And of course, this is being spoken of in the context of giving because money is a really tricky idol. Money is an easy God substitute. I mean, from money, we can get security and identity and happiness and power. Oh, that's like a God. Money sneaks in. So Paul's saying, be careful. He's saying, it said, so to the Spirit. Now, watch this, though. When he says, so to the Spirit, talking about money, he doesn't go towards health and wealth kind of preaching. He doesn't say, hey, guys, you give God $1,000, he's going to give you back $10,000. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, you give to God, and what you reap is eternal life. Now, that's not life that starts later. That's kingdom life that starts right now. It's kingdom living, kingdom life. In first, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he talks a lot about giving and living there as well. And, and Paul, what he says there is what you reap is righteousness. You give money, you reap righteousness. See, this, this giving thing, this is not some pyramid scheme of God. He's trying to bilk you out of your cash. No, listen, and, and, but, but listen, you'll get rich too. Don't worry, sign up. You know, listen, that's not it. No, we give, but what we get is we get righteousness. We get kingdom life. We get eternal life. We get spiritual growth. That's what we get out of it. But as I told you already, he's broadening it. It's not just about money. If you were paying attention in Galatians 5, 
when he talks about the flesh, there's all kinds of ways we screw up in the flesh. If you think about how we sow to the flesh, I mean, there's sexual immorality, right? Cheating at work, cheating on our taxes, not forgiving, living bitter. Sometimes it's just having a tribe of non-Christians. I'm not saying you can't have relationships with non-Christians. You should. But if that's your tribe, those are your people, you're sowing to the flesh. You'll reap corruption. That's the way it is. Lost in pornography and uh, gossip, drunkenness, addiction, laziness, gluttony, materialism, greed. There's so many ways we sow to the flesh. And Paul says, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. What's that mean? That, that word corruption there in the Greek, it's a term that is used for a field where the produce is too rotten to harvest. It's been in the field too long and it's gone rotten and it's gross. So to the flesh, that's what you get. That's what you get. And Paul knows that and he loves his audience just like I love you. And so he's saying, so to the spirit. Not just with your money, but also with your time and your energy. What would that look like? Listen, that means you get in small group life. You get in a community group or a men's study or women's study. Like you invest there. So to the spirit, not just to the flesh. You serve at your church. You, you have time alone with the Lord every day where you pray to him and you read the word. That's sowing to the spirit. What about your media intake? And could you listen to Christian podcasts and sermons? Or, or what about shows and books that inspire godly character? You want to do a, a gut check on this one? Go look at your Netflix watching history. Right? And so, so to the spirit or so to the flesh. You got a choice. And, and Paul, and I, I want you to sow to the spirit so that you can reap kingdom life. Reap kingdom life. Men and women, listen. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That is to say, this stuff is real. And it's either true or it's not. Why is it that we talk like it's true but live like it's not? Isn't that silly? Paul's saying, don't do that. Why would we think that we can sow to the flesh, sow to the flesh, sow to the flesh, but we're going to reap spiritual life from God? God's not mocked. If you want to put a point on it, look. If you live outside the kingdom life, then you live outside the kingdom blessing. It's just the way it is. If you live outside the kingdom life, you live outside the kingdom blessing. And that blessing, again, is spiritual growth and it's righteousness. I'm not saying you get materialistically rich. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's the kingdom life, the kingdom blessing. Now, yes, you are saved solely by the work of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Let's sow to the Spirit together, not to the flesh. In fact, I heard it put this way. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And all day long, we got to be honest, we are sowing to the flesh or the spirit. We're thoughts and actions, thoughts. But those thoughts and actions, they're becoming habits. They're becoming character. That becomes our destiny. And we want to arrive well. We want to arrive well. So sow to the spirit. Now, the, the other thing Paul's going to 
emphasize, though, if you look at the passage, he says, keep at it. Specifically, he says, don't grow weary. Do you know why? There's a large gap between sowing and harvesting. Right? You, you sow in the spring, you harvest in the fall. Like, there's a gap of about four months. Now, don't come up to me afterwards and say, it's not actually four months. Go read John 4.35. Jesus said it's four months. Shut up. Jesus said it, right? Four months. But if we're honest, it's longer. Sometimes it's 80 years, right? You're sowing and you're sowing. Haven't seen the harvest yet. We grow weary. There's no visible fruit and we're weary. And you got to weed and you got to water and we're weary. And Paul is saying, don't grow weary. Hang in, hang in. This is where we can be honest, folks. Let's, let's not be fake. This world, this is a broken, fallen world. And, and sowing the Spirit, like that is wearisome at times. It's hard, right? We can be honest about that. I'm weary at times. Are you? And so Paul is like a coach at halftime saying, hey, hang in. We're going to win in the end, but I need you guys to do it for another half. Don't grow weary. Keep at it. Keep at it. And Paul knows exactly what he's talking about. You think, you think ministry was easy for Paul? <laughs> Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That sounds wearisome to me. That sounds difficult. But you know what? Paul didn't give up. So that at the end of the, his life, here's what he could say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the harvest right there. It's not health and wealth. That's the harvest. Crown of righteousness. Jesus putting that on your head. Can you imagine? And Paul's like, I did it. I made it. That's where I want to be. And the good news is, I could, it says at the end, but also to all who loved his appearing. I'll tell you the story of somebody else who lived this out. A famous missionary named William Carey. He left England in 1793, headed to India, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ among a people who didn't even know the name Jesus. Could you imagine? And they don't even know, like, who's that? For seven years... He's preaching and preaching, and he's got nothing to show for it. Week after week, month after month, he's sowing, he's weeding, he's watering. It's, it's hard. He sees no fruit. And yet he starts to get discouraged. He starts to get weary. And so he wrote to his sisters back in England. He said, I feel as a farmer does about his crop. Sometimes I think the seed is springing, and thus I hope... A little blasts all, and my hopes are gone like a cloud. They were only weeds which appeared. 
Or if a little corn sprung up, it quickly dies, being either choked with weeds or parched up by the sun of persecution. Yet I still hope in God, and I will go forth in his strength and make mention of his righteousness. He didn't grow weary. He kept at it. You know what happened? On December 28th, 1800, he was able to baptize the very first convert from Hinduism in this part of India, a carpenter named Krishna Paul. And uh, when that happened, one of Carrie's companions was there and wrote this in his diary. He said, ye gods of stone and clay, did ye not tremble when in the triune name one soul shook you from his feet as dust? Oh, I love it. Seven years with nothing. And then this. And that became a little prick in the dam, which burst forth and led to so much fruit of a harvest in India. It was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Now listen, you can't grow weary. You might not be a missionary in India. In fact, I'm pretty sure none of you are, right? You're not. But don't grow weary of doing good. I see that happen in times where somebody comes into our church and they start serving here and there and there, and four years later, nothing. They grew weary. They checked out. Don't grow weary of doing good. Keep sowing to the Spirit. Don't sow to the flesh. I want you to live a kingdom life. You don't have to be in India. You can live a kingdom life right here this week. And Paul said, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Now, this passage, I'll be honest with you, it doesn't preach well. It's it's a lot of teaching today. But let me tell you what we covered. We talked about giving to your church, living a generous life. You reap what you sow and don't grow weary. Four things. I think John Wesley sums this up, makes it really simple for us. Wesley, the founder of Methodism, this great preacher, great pastor, here's what he said. Do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's it right there. In fact, I want you to take out your phones and take a picture of that. Look, do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. I want you to have that with you because that's what I want you to do this week. Listen, can you do that this week? Can you wake up every morning on mission with Jesus and say, Jesus, we're going on an adventure today. I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit And therefore, every interaction, every clerk at every store, every driver on the road next to you, or behind you, or in the fast lane going slow, every driver, okay? Every driver, every family member, every neighbor, every coworker, every customer, every conversation, every email, every text, Lord have mercy, every interaction on social media, right? Listen, Jesus has your back. We've been saved by the pure gospel. We're set. We're good. Can we go live a big kingdom life this week so that we do all the good that you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can? Go on an adventure this week. Go live that life. And for that, let me pray.
Father in heaven, we absolutely need that. We want that. We want to come to you right now grateful because I realize that's who you are. You came and lived that life among us in Jesus. And as a result, I became your son, adopted by grace. It still blows my mind. I can't believe it. But you did good to me even though I didn't deserve it. You did it for my brothers and sisters here. And now we want in. We want in on the kingdom life. We want to be like you. We want to follow you. And go live that this week. We admit we stink at it. And so we're asking you to lead us by your spirit to do that this week. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.